0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide, your coach, your pal on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. Another Monday. (sighs) Another Monday in life. Another one. You know what? It feels a lot like last Monday (laughs) and the Monday before that. But today, that's just a story. It's just a story. Today's a different Monday. I can keep saying it's all the same. I can keep saying that Mondays are bad and Fridays are better. Just a story. Today, that's what we'll be talking about. How about the stories that you tell as a parent? Are there certain things that you say, oh, kids, you know, these kids. And we just start telling the story like that kids don't get it. We think that. And sometimes we're right. But it's not always the truth. So we've got to learn to parent, and we've got to learn to parent and maybe watch the stories we tell and find out how to use our our stories a little bit better. For example, some of you may know that uh, one day out on the front step of BYU Broadcasting, Sean and I, in the middle of a rainstorm, found a cute little baby bundled up in a University of Utah t-shirt. Those that don't know, the University of Utah is the dark side.
1: This story gets better and better every time I hear it.
0: (laughs) BYU Broadcasting's light side. The University of Utah's like the dark hat. The BYU is like the white hat. Anyway, this child was wrapped in a red shirt, dark hat. <sighs> Raining in a fruit basket. In a fruit basket with cellophane over it. Curled up to a bottle of Curled sparkling up to a bottle. cider. Yeah. Uh huh. That mm-hmm. was weird. Yeah, like spooning the cider. Yep. Just for, uh, that, he remembers it so
1: well. I know. He's got a great memory.
0: <laughs> so we've been telling this story forever, and I had no idea that how important the story is because James even knows the story. Yeah. And quotes it as if he remembers it. Well, I feel like it defines me. Oh, that was, that's well, my it's, origins. It's yeah. been
1: told to him so many times now. <laughs> it actually,
0: it's like we're always in the process of redefining you.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Which is why this is a great show. So stories
0: matter, but you remember it, and that's but it's the it's, story we
1: tell about James. Well, that's
0: the beginning of a superhero right. story,
1: mm-hmm. from rags to
0: riches to capes. Yeah, well <laughs> actually, he did, he did wear that cape. Actually, it's that one, the beginning
1: huh? of the Rob Meet the Robinsons movie.
0: It is. Boom. Subtly.
1: Anyway, so today we're going to be talking
0: about the power of the stories you use with your kids. How to maybe create a more effective story. How to teach principles through stories—great stuff like that. Paul Smith will be joining us. Who is the author, by the way, of the of the book, the very book on storytelling and uh, lead with a story? Is one book he's written. Another one is parenting with a story. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, Also, Kim's in the house. Kim is going to be joining us, uh, and Coach Kim. You know, some of you know her by Coach Kim, but uh, she's here. She's going to. Well, she should be here. She's not here yet. She'll be here a little bit later. She's going to educate us, teach us, you know, more of her coaching tricks, and uh, also just throughout the show, just got a ton of fun stuff. Kim Giles, Paul Smith, you name it. But before we go uh, further, we we need to we need to address the news because Sean's been you know actively digging through the news archives. Okay. And what do you mean okay? (laughs) That sounds like you haven't been.
1: Well, I didn't have my shovel out today. Oh. You were raking, yeah, more than that. yeah. <laughs> you were raking through the news. Sorry, Christmas time at a radio station is a busy, busy time. Yeah, it's crazy time. It is.
0: What What'd you come up with
1: though? I did find a lot of people complaining about this story. Well, yeah. What What do you do when the story isn't exactly what you're expecting? Make it up. Well, well like no, that's that's what it feels like. It feels like this story was made up. Oh, like well, we were, we were sold a, a bill of goods
0: sort of thing. Well, who who would make up a story to get you to buy something? Uh,
1: well, this isn't this isn't really buying. This is to get you to watch something where you could possibly see some advertising yeah. and then maybe buy something. Yeah, so it was a bait and switch? That's what a lot of people are saying. Was it a snake bait and switch? It was. Did you ever did you ever hear about the show "Eaten Alive"? Yes, the special that was on Discovery. Yes,
0: I could hardly wait.
1: Who doesn't Mm -hmm. want to see a man eaten by a snake? Well, the audience was kind of promised that a a snake, an anaconda, would, (laughs) you know, you you. In fact, in the description of some of the. On some services, it said, would enter the belly of an anaconda, that this man Ooh. would enter the belly of an anaconda. <laughs> Paul Rosalie. alive, I anaconda. guess is his name. He's an activist and a, and a, and a con- conservationist, I Hold think. It. An activist and a con- conservationist mm-hmm. is, wants to get in the He wants to save the snake. rainforest. Okay. So That's he decides, let's go down to the rainforest, let's find an anaconda and let it, he you needs. know, Gnaw on me. <laughs> so no. to speak. No, no, no. I get that. <laughs> that makes sense. But that's that's what a lot of people thought. So they thought when they advertised this show, he'd be gnawed on. Exactly. Did he get gnawed on at all? Well, uh, well, let's see. The show took two hours. Okay. And within that two hours they had to find a snake first. Okay. Yeah, well you
0: can't yeah. You need to have a snake. Yeah, that would help. You could fake it, but then you're really just they also they
1: also it. showed a bunch of uh, other footage of the crew getting. Uh, they had these nematodes that uh, were in their feet and things, and Ooh. yeah, and so the, the crew had quite a quite a journey, so to speak. So, okay, you know, it takes two hours to build up to this thing. Well, okay, well, you know what that means? What?
0: There was no thing. Uh, that's you know so some it's people are up. reporting that yeah. right now. Yeah, that's the key because. You know, if you don't have a great ending, you got to make up a really <laughs> good beginning. Good beginning. So that's where the <laughs> nematodes come in.
1: So uh, supposedly uh, they get this snake, although some people are saying that the snake was pulled in from somewhere else, not yeah, like that they brought Brooklyn. it with them. Yeah, it's, it's from like the that. U.S. Uh, but you, you do – so uh, Mr. Rosalie dons his safety suit. Which is, he's got some armor or something. What is an anaconda safety suit? I have no idea. I bet it involves... It looked like armor. Okay. So I don't know if it was made out of metal or not. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, and he, the snake starts coiling around him. Mm-hmm. As a snake would do. Uh, exactly. So the snake was right on cue. Mm-hmm. And then you see the snake's mouth... <sighs> You know, well, it, yeah, double-hinged or whatever. Exactly. It just opens wide. And it's on top of his head, uh, which has got a helmet on it, by the way. Oh, helmet. Well, yeah, yeah. you're not going to go into a snake without a helmet. No. I wouldn't, they would <laughs> Did hurt. he have a light? Uh, they, like I, a miner's light? Supposedly they had a camera on top of the helmet because they had this camera view of going down the snake's... The gullet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That could have just
0: been pre-taped.
1: But I, I got to say, looking at the the footage that I saw on discovery.com, yeah. I didn't think there was... And, and I've seen snakes eat rats... Yeah, you know that sort of thing. yeah, Were the rats wearing helmets? Uh, no. Okay. I did not see any way this snake was going to get its mouth around just this guy's head. But supposedly,
0: some snakes can unhinge their jaw and stretch it twenty feet wide. Well, and supposedly, I've seen a snake and, and eat
1: a car. Maybe can eat a horse. I don't know. Oh yeah. Cow. I, I yep. didn't see this snake getting any sort of a, any sort of friction to actually get a hold of ah. the guy. Well, it's hard to get his teeth because it was that it was very smooth. Yeah. But the, the the snake kept coiling around him, and and you? he said he felt his arm, uh, he felt felt the blood drain out of my hand, and mm-hmm. I felt the bone flex. And when I got to the point where I felt like it was going to snap, I had to tap out.
0: No, 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 no. See, that That's was right. What
1: did that was right when it was getting
0: good. That's what happened. Okay, I call that. That's, he wussed out. I feel like we should have seen this one coming. I mean, come on. <laughs> no. Well, he, the least well, he could have done is break his arm. What was his
1: exit strategy, though? Uh, like, oh, well, you he, people, they, he had crew. They had crew. Were around. they going to pull him out. Yes. What? Oh, you mean out of? The, yeah. Had, if he, after he, had, he, got, he got eaten, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. He had a cable attached to him, though, with, uh, to, that was connected to cameras yeah. and stuff. Whether there was a cable to pull him out or not, I have no idea. You know what? That's maybe just he the busts through thing. from the inside. I don't know. <laughs> What was his exit strategy? (laughs) Probably. We're we're not going there, (laughs)
0: okay? I mean, you had to ask. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the beef? Well. (laughs) What's the beef? I don't get the problem. The problem is we were promised that this man, I mean, the name of the show was Eaten Alive. I want to see a guy get eaten by a snail. That's what people are complaining about all over Twitter (laughs) and everywhere. They're complaining, he didn't do it. Yeah,
0: that's. That's the old bait-and-switch right there. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, this, which company put this on? Which...
1: Discovery. Oh. Well, they aired it. Uh, I believe most, most of Discovery's model is somebody will film a show yeah. and Discovery will purchase the, well, the show. Well, maybe that's
0: part of Discovery's model is they don't mm-hmm. discover what's going to happen until the show airs. I
1: guess not, but PETA did come out with a statement saying that they were, they were mad that they moved the snake to a certain area so that they could so use PETA's it. So PETA is
0: sure that this snake was imported.
1: Well, not that it was imported, but it was moved and, and it was upset with its rhythm of life and well, things. And there yeah. are some activist groups that were getting mad just yes. at the thought of, mm-hmm. of you know, that too. exploiting an animal like that.
0: Yeah. Well, which is why he should have just let it break his arm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then we could have called it even.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, well. Okay, so the first and teaser.
0: They had to pay the snake.
1: I know, but the thing is. Discovery and the production team knew what was going on because they didn't advertise this show until after they had done the event. Yeah. What well, they should have said is it will be
0: about an hour and 45 mm-hmm. minutes of incredible nematode
1: yeah. <laughs> gathering. Well, and of course, it, Discovery did say, you know, this, this, we, we never said this would actually happen. We said it would be an attempt.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like so. the attempt to run 150 miles in a day. But mm-hmm. when you only hit twelve, yeah, we tried. We it's tried. an attempt, I, I guess. But anyway, well, um, that's sad, I guess.
1: So you know, make sure the story's a good one.
0: Yeah, before you tell it, we we probably need to ask our expert that. The story probably and ought I'm to have betting some he's truth. got
1: some good stories. Yeah,
0: we'll ask Paul if he's heard about that. Okay, Paul Smith is going to be joining us uh, after this break. He's going to teach us about parenting with stories. You know, you got to use stories kids get stories and we probably need to make sure the kind of story we're telling because my belief is whatever story you're telling you're going to keep repeating like they like you know discovery apparently kept repeating kind of like eating alive finding james on the doorstep yeah okay eventually james is going to believe it somehow we'll have to talk his parents into this and get them to believe it too we're going to take a break when we come back discussing parenting with a story right here on the matt townsend show He had come equipped with a gun to shoot off the legs of his rival. His rival, it seems, had broken his dreams by stealing the girl of his fancy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're talking about storytelling and the power of storytelling as a parent, as a person, you know, to get, I guess, write your story, take your life back by being in charge of your story, as well as the power it has to teach and to guide us and to to kind of craft a narrative for our life. And uh, by the way, that's the Beatles right there. Rocky Raccoon. That was a great raccoon, by the way. You can't... You know, you got to name your raccoon Rocky, you know, Ginger the raccoon. Sounds weird. Today, our guest, Paul Smith. And Paul Smith is a popular keynote speaker, a corporate trainer in leadership and storytelling techniques, He was a former executive and a 20-year veteran of the Procter & Gamble Company, by the way, a marketing company that knows how to tell a story or two, and uh, is the author of two books, Lead with a Story, A Guide to Crafting Business Narratives that Captivate, Convince, and Inspire, and Parenting with a Story, Real-Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children to Share. He can be found at his website, leadwithastory.com. He's been on all the big shows and all the big, uh, you know, news organizations. He's, he's just out there teaching people to, uh, to create a better narrative for their life. Paul Smith, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for that uh, lovely introduction.
0: You bet. It's great to have you. And I, I'm a big believer in this narrative stuff, Paul, because you know we, somewhere we have to have some power in our lives. And it seems like one of the beginning pieces of all of that would be the story we tell.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think I think you make a good point. It's not just powerful for the people that are hearing the story, but it's a powerful way for you to, I think the words you used was to take back control of your own narrative. Yeah. And you see that a lot. You know,
0: let me just tell you and I'm not disrespecting anybody, but the hardest job on earth has to be the presidential the president's spokesperson who yeah. who has to sit there and everybody's got an angle on a story that they want, and everybody's trying to kind of push their story. And this person has to sit there and just keep they say I was going to say twist the story, but you just have to keep moving the story to create the narrative you need it to be. And so teach us, Paul, talk about your background, I guess, and get us into I know you first wrote the book for businesses, and it seems normal that a business would want to create the right story. Um, why Talk about how you moved it
2: into parenting? yeah well, you know uh, the idea started actually when I was in the middle of the research for the first book so i was I was interviewing CEOs and executives at companies all over the world trying to find their most effective leadership stories so huh. those those moments in their career where they had learned their most important leadership lessons and crafted those into a narrative so that they could teach the next generation of leadership you know how to how to lead the business yeah and a lot of people i shared those stories with ended up telling me wow you know i could really use that story at home too with my kid because Mm. you know it really would help me teach them some lesson and that's when it occurred to me that leading people at work is very similar to parenting kids at home in both cases you've got a, a younger generation of people that. Your job is to lead and teach and train and develop, and, and you hope that they do well and someday succeed you. And, I mean, the, the similarities are, are quite evident once right. I finally realized it. And so I knew for my next project I wanted to take the same thing into the home. And so I, I ended up interviewing another hundred or so people around the world, but this time it wasn't business executives. It was just normal people, um, you know, and I was I was looking for those those unexpected moments of clarity in hmm. their life where they learned a life-changing lesson. And my, what I found is I think most of us have one or two of those stories. You, know, you bet. have one. I have one or two. You know, But we don't have 100 yeah. <laughs> or 200 or 1,000, and I'm convinced that we probably need that many to raise a kid all the way to adulthood. So I thought – wouldn't it be great if I could get the one or two best stories out of 100 people around the world and oh, put them on covers for us to use as parents? I mean, if you think about it, like, um,
0: you know, every great speaker will pull out a Gandhi story, a Mandela, a Mother Teresa story. You know, they, they kind of have these iconic, you know, leader stories. Uh, um, but I guess – are you saying that we we should or could have 100 of our own stories? or just borrowing and using other stories from other people. I mean, I know in your book you borrowed, but I mean, we could feasibly have a lot of our own, right?
2: You could. In fact, in the last chapter of the book, I I offer a number of questions for you to ask yourself to help you find some great stories in your past. Hmm. To to answer your question directly, I I just don't think any of us, or most of us, I I certainly don't, I don't have a hundred really great stories. I've got two or three good really really yeah. good stories and then i got a bunch of average <laughs> yeah stories yeah and i think you just mentioned it earlier you start telling your best stories over and over again and your mm-hmm. kids get tired of hearing them oh, yeah. you, know, you need some new material yeah and, dad come and on you don't want everybody else's average stories you want the very best yeah. stories so that's what i tried to collect for everything. so i think you should have your own and and i've what's in the back of the book are the questions that i found to be the most effective at getting people to, find, to, to come up with and tell me their best stories because it, it sure wasn't me asking them, hey, you know, Matt, tell me your best story.
0: Yeah, because no, right.
2: When, when I ask people that, I get nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they nothing.
0: look at you like, what? No, exactly.
2: Yeah, but you've got to ask questions like, you know, Matt, tell me about a time in your life when you learned an important but completely unexpected lesson or mm. you learned it in an unexpected way or, or what's the biggest mistake you've ever made or, or what's your biggest regrets in life thus far? I mean, yeah, You ask questions like that, and man, the stories start coming out. And so that – I found those to be much more effective.
0: I think that's super powerful. And then it seems like the the outcome – almost each story is going to teach uh, like a character trait or a principle.
2: Yeah, and you know, I I honestly didn't know what I would end up with when I started the project. Of course, I had you know my guess. I thought I would. I, I thought surely integrity is going to come yeah. up, and hard work, and maybe kindness and fairness or something. And sure, those did come up. But uh, you know, I ended up like I said, interviewing about a hundred people, and each of them had you know six or seven stories that I ended up documenting. So I had six or seven hundred stories to pick the best hundred hmm. from. And then I just I read through them all, and I categorized them based on what character trait does this story teach and The same twenty three kept coming up out of all of them, and I mean it was things like ambition and open mindedness and creativity and courage and hard work and but those are things about who we are as people, but right. it's also things about how we treat others, so kindness and patience and fairness and humility and respect for others so Um, So that's what ended up making up the chapters of the book is these 23 different character traits that I'm guessing you or anybody else would look at and go, yep, I I, I want that for my kids. Oh, sure. There's five or six stories in each of those chapters for you to use.
0: That is, that's awesome. And and, um, I mean, I know we're going to go through it kind of piece by piece, and I want to hear about a lot of the principles, is um, it it also just seems like uh, hearing the stories, there's something that goes on, isn't there, when we tell the stories to each other and talk about them. I mean, I guess that's part of the parenting side of this too, is not just having a story, but the process of sharing it.
2: Yeah. And I, I think uh, my guess is that our grandparents' generation yeah. did this more instinctively than we did. You know, yeah. they didn't have all the TVs and electronic devices and video games to suck the kids away from the dinner table at night. And right. They would share stories of their day, and that's how wisdom got passed down. And we just we don't have that anymore, so we have to be more intentional about thinking of our stories and sharing them with our kids to teach them these important lessons because you know i, I don't know if, if uh, what your experience is but i know when i tell my kids what to do and what to think i'm very rarely successful <laughs> oh yeah you know but oh, if i yeah. tell them you know what um and and my son's name is Matt too yeah say, it's a perfect name yeah. You know, when I was your age, and by the way, I know a lot more about being 14 than you know about being 47, right? <laughs> um, but when I was your age, I, I ran into the same problem you did. And let me tell you what I did about it. Yeah. I tell him what I did, and I say, and you know what? I ended up getting kicked out of school. So, that's you know, so keep going down this path, that's yeah. what's going to happen, you know? But but I, I, I let him then draw the conclusion, really, instead of telling him, so don't do this and do this and don't do that. Mm-hmm. The story lets them make Their own decision about what to do, but but guided by your wisdom.
0: Yeah, and then what I know, they'll listen, right? So you start telling a story, and my kids start listening. They immediately look at me when I'm like, "Oh, you won't believe what happened today," or did you? You got to hear the story, and then all of a sudden they perk up. You've got them. You you might have them. You know, as long as it's interesting, you got thirty seconds or whatever. But yeah. you know that's probably enough time to at least get them caught into the story and telling the story. Good stuff. Um, we're going to take a break, Paul. And when we come back, I want to jump into this and have you start teaching us some of the stories and help and start showing us some of these incredible uh, character strengths principles that you've learned through storytelling. Again, back with Paul Smith and uh, more insight on his book, Parenting with a Story: Real Life Lessons in Character. For parents and children to share, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Nobody can tell a story better than Taylor Swift. Even when I say that, James is just glassy-eyed, swaying back and forth, eyes rolling back in his head. It's great. He likey. He likey the Taylor, the Swifty. Hey, uh, today we're talking about stories and the stories you tell. Boy, love stories. That's, whew, that's a story. That's a that's a story that'll, you know, they're always a love story until there's a breakup. Then there's a hate story. Then there's a new love story. Storytelling, folks, that's what we're talking about today. And the power of your storytelling um, to help create stronger children with, with an understanding of character. And uh, those stories can make a big difference. Our guest today is Paul Smith. Now, Paul has a, an MBA from Wharton. Spent about 20 years with Procter & Gamble uh, working with them and uh, doing, you know, he's basically been a consultant for many, many years as well and is now a speaker and works with big companies like Hewlett Packard and um, Bayer Medical, you name it, Ford Motor Company. But in his work and his research on creating a healthy narrative for an organization, he's also kind of hit on the idea that, you know, what companies are doing with their stories, to create leadership and, and manage their leaders and create better narratives for the company. Also work in the parenting realm and world. So he wrote the book, uh, Parenting with a Story, Real Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children, which can be found at www.leadwithastory.com. Paul Smith, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. You bet. Uh, talk about some of the examples that you've got. I know you have a, just a ton of great stories, but I'd love to get in and just kind of give a taste for what we should be teaching and, and use, how we should be using stories with our children to like teach basic principles
2: of life. Sure. Well, let me just give you an example, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll give you one from a neighboring state of Colorado. So back in the 70s, there was a, a kid named Ed Tangway that lived there growing up, five or six years old at the time, and his older brother, Mark, had gone off to the Marshall Islands to visit his, visit his aunt and uncle who were in the Peace Corps there. Huh. And three months later, he uh, he's ready to come back, and he he befriended this kid named Torlick, a local uh, kid there in the Marshall Islands, and he called home to mom and dad and said, "Hey, look, when I come home, can this kid come with me? Because he's never been to the U.S. and here I've been visiting, you know, and staying with his family for three months. Can he yeah. can stay with us?" And So mom and dad says, "Sure." So Torlick comes home, and uh, he's going to stay with him for three or four months. And it turns out Torlik likes to play basketball. So they're outside in the front driveway playing basketball one day. And the president of the homeowners association stops and comes up and talks to uh, Mr. Tangway, Mr. Tangway, the dad, and says, look, um, you know, I heard you're going to have this kid stay here with you for a while. And of course, that's OK. But uh, if, if you're going to have him outside playing basketball, it would probably be best if you didn't do it between, say, five and six o'clock when when all the good people are driving home mm. you know, on their way from work. And of course, you can see what's going on here. Yeah. The, the Torlick, of course, being a native of the Marshall Islands, his skin was many shades darker than this very Caucasian Colorado suburb. Yeah. Suburb, and and uh, you know he he didn't want the anybody to get what he called the the wrong idea about this neighborhood. So, now imagine little Ed, who's five or six years old, watching this conversation happen between his dad and this homeowners association president. And he he to this day, I mean, he can't remember exactly what was said. Yeah. Um, but what he does remember is that just about every day for the next three months his father would come home from work and yell down the hallway, Torlick, it's 5 o'clock, time to play basketball. <laughs> you know? And it just – it taught him an important lesson about you know, how to stand up to, to a bigot, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, I mean, totally. You, know, you, you might think that you've got to be some civil rights hero you know, like a Nelson Mandela right. you were mentioning earlier or something, but you don't. You know, you, you can do it in everyday ways, and his father didn't tell him how to handle a situation like that. He showed him, and now that story gets, is getting passed down to young Ed's family, and it'll get passed down to his grandchildren and their grandchildren to understand how do you deal with a bigot. And That's the bottom powerful. line is you just, you just don't do what they want to do.
0: Well, and look at this. That opens up this discussion. And then these kids – so a lot of times what we do, it seems like, is we watch a news story. And you could see parents doing this in Ferguson, and there's this huge divide, and now what's going on in New York. And there's this divide. There's a racial divide, and everybody takes their story and their side of the story, and they all start battling. And then, you know, you can just dismiss it, turn off everything, and just ignore everything. But in a way, maybe what you do is you you then come back and you – You know, maybe turn off the television and start talking to your kids, and tell a story like this about how we can bring some of uh, these—you know—to get rid of some of the ideas, the bigoted ideas that we have, or create a more open-minded world. I mean, just the story that you just shared is going to create a bridge and tell us what to do, instead of trying to help our kids by telling them everything they
2: shouldn't do. Right. And, you know, you hit on something else interesting. You said, after the story, it'll start this conversation. And that's critical. here. Yeah. Because if, if all you do is tell these stories to your kids and then walk away, I, I think you've missed a large part of the learning opportunity. In fact, I believe that so much that one of the things I did was I, I wrote a discussion guide to go with every single one of the 101 stories in the book. So, oh, wow. Um so it 's and it 's basically it 's four or five questions each custom made for each of the stories, um, so that when you 're done telling the story, it starts you to having a productive conversation with your kids so it would, it would be things like um, so for this this one, for example, you know, it'd be something like, well, what did you think about what uh, Mr. Tangley did? Did he do the right thing or did he do the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. Or what would you have done if you had been him and how would you have felt about it if you were Torlick? And, you know, it's, it's so it's questions to get the kid to start putting him or herself yeah. in the position of the people in the story. And then they can figure out how they would have really reacted. And that's where I think the real learning starts.
0: happen. Oh, that's magic. And then, yeah, because you're creating scenarios. And if you just did one a night. I mean, to me, this this yeah. kind of parallels like scriptures study, kind of where it's mm-hmm. maybe modern day scripture. Here's a new example, yeah. and it's a new exa- example of a character trait. Let's talk it out. Let's figure it out, and then put them in these put in this situation. So, what would you right. do if you had just bought a home and you found out the president of the homeowners association didn't value you? Well, how would you handle it? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. And it's so you have a hundred and one stories with a breakdown of questions you can ask, kind of a, a guide, a talking guide.
2: Yeah, so there's probably four or 500 questions in there. But the idea is that, I mean, you'd only use the questions for story number 37. Yeah. You know, you use the questions for story number 37. So Yeah. It really
0: um, is a guy, too. One of my um, – the area that i studied was social psychology and how how we interact determines kind of how we think how we are how we form our identity and so i i'm a big believer that conversations are the way we create meaning yeah. and all of a sudden you're creating this handout this this ability to somebody for somebody to grab a book and start creating a healthy meaning with people that's yeah. awesome
2: so you, you mentioned open mindedness would uh, can I share with yeah, you I'd love a, a to hear. story to teach that yeah so um this one involves a guy named Jim Bangel who was he was an adult at the time so it's not a story about a kid but he uh he was an engineer and just a, a really bright guy and an intellectually curious fellow in fact it wasn't uncommon to see him just totally engrossed in whatever the latest trade magazine you know uh for his engineering discipline right. Um, so he actually had he worked at this big company and they just built a brand new fancy office building. He was going there for his very first meeting in the the new offices, and so because he's an engineer, he's not just looking around and going, "Wow, this uh, atrium's pretty," and uh, you know it's got the new car smell. <laughs> but he's he's like mentally you know assessing what he he thinks of the quality of the building design you know in the back of his head you know what should be probably paying attention to the meeting but anyway he's he's doing this in the back of his head and of course at some point during the day the guy's got to go to the bathroom so he gets up he grabs his you know his this reading material whatever this article that he's fascinated with and he's like walking down the hallway with his nose stuck in the book and you know almost running into people on in the hallway he gets to the bathroom and goes in and you know, he he does what men have been doing since the you know invention of the indoor toilet. He takes the the paper with him and yeah. feeds it in the in the bathroom. Yeah, and so he's just engrossed in this, and then he starts hearing he can he can hear muffled sounds of the women's voices from the bathroom that's next door. Uh-huh. And so he starts thinking, "Wow, they sure built the walls in this new building cheap." You know, and he's Thin like walls. putting it – a tick, yeah. He's got a tick on the, the negative side of his ledger and how good they built this building. then yeah. he goes back to reading it, and then he hears more women's voices. And, but this time they're louder, and then he sees underneath the, the stall door, he sees an unmistakable pair of high heel shoes walk by <laughs> with a woman's voice. And he's like, Oh my God, they're oh, in the room, right? You know, yeah. what's going on? And and then he's like thinking, What what's the right thing for me to do? What's <laughs> what's the right etiquette? Do I do I clear my throat or do I tell them, Hey, you're in the wrong bathroom, or do I just sit here quietly? And he just he didn't know what to do and and then he starts um he he notices, Go, what's what's that like little trash receptacle here on the inside of the Yeah. Uh, you know, what is the that? Point. I don't know. And, and he's, he, then he hears more women's voices, and he's like, what is wrong? Oh, maybe there's a women's conference in the, the building, and they, there's so yeah. many women that they've temporarily that's converted it. this men's room to women. And they changed the <laughs> sign after I walked in, and, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, now I'm trapped in here. And he's just, like, worrying about what to do. And it was like five or ten minutes, and then he's, he's sitting there, and he finally, finally dawns on them. That he's in the women's bathroom, busted. You know, and it, it, he's the one that's made the mistake. Yeah. And here, here, he and you know, so he immediately jerks his feet up and he's like embarrassed and he's in this balled up balancing act, waiting for the <laughs> last woman to leave before he, you know, dashes for the door to get out, hoping nobody's going to see him. And all the way back to his meeting, he's like wondering why on earth did it take me ten minutes, yeah. to realize that I was in the ladies' bathroom and not ladies were in the men's room despite all of the evidence you know i didn't see any urinals when i walked in i heard all these ladies voices i saw that silly trash container and like, like and he concluded that it's just because we're all so enamored of our own opinion that we will fabricate the most bizarre you know, confabulations to make sense out of the difference between what we see and what our opinion tells us is true. So true. And we do it all the time, you know? And so I find this story helpful when I see my kids, and all kids do this, and adults do this too. There's an example where you'll argue with, they'll be arguing a point with you, and you know they're wrong, and you've given them adequate evidence to see that they're wrong, but they just won't give up. Yeah,
0: Yeah, they won't see it.
2: So now I share this story, and and now and once I've shared it one time, I never have to share it again, but any time I see my kid like doggedly defending an opinion that has already clearly been proven to him as <laughs> wrong, all I have to say is, Matt, is it possible? To, maybe you're in the wrong bathroom.
0: Yeah, you're in the and, ladies' room.
2: <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden the whole story comes back to him and he goes, oh, okay, wait a minute. That, <laughs> that tells it. me I'm making a fool of myself here and I really need to be objective, you know, and it, it just works every time. That is so cool.
0: That See, again, I think that's, that's power. And really, that is the power of parenting, is having the wisdom to bring the right story out and let the story do the teaching. Uh, awesome stuff. Let's take one more break with you, Paul, and we'll come back, have you tell us a few more stories, teach us more how we can use stories in our role as parents to create healthier uh, learning, healthier understanding. In fact, understanding our kids aren't soon to forget. We will be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
2: My name is Luca. I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. Yes, I think you've seen me before.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about storytelling. By the way, every song is a story. Except for the ones that, you know, those rock and rollers. Those metalheads. You can't understand those. Stories. Storytelling. The power of a good story to get across a point to your kids, to your family, to your friends. You know, cleaner, better than you can by just trying to nail them and draw out this... You know, diatribe for twenty years one story that 's all it takes today we 're talking to Paul Smith, who has written the book on storytelling uh, two books actually, Lead with a Story, which is a guide to crafting business narratives that captivate, convince, and inspire, and parenting with a story real life lessons in character for parents and children to share again, you can go to his website leadwithastory dot com and find out more about those books. also look into his blog podcast he 's got it all there. Just go to leadwithastory.com. Paul Smith, welcome back to the show.
2: Very good to be back.
0: Hey, I know you have a really good story um, about uh, self confidence and grit. Mm-hmm. Those are two stories, I guess. Talk about talk about one of those. I guess killing the rabbit. What story was
2: that? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So you know, self confidence is something that uh, probably nobody's really born with. You, you have to develop it, and I, I know it's a, something that a lot of kids struggle with, and, and you probably know this as well as I do, that when kids don't have good self-confidence, they end up making bad decisions, yeah. you know, because because people that lack self-confidence, they, they don't lack confidence, they just gain it from someone other than themselves, there you and that's go. when they get into trouble. And so the the story I ended up with um, here was a young woman named Sarah Milligan, who was eight years old at the time, living in Kentucky, and her older brother, who was he was 10 years old, so he was, you know, a big kid, right? Mm-hmm. And she just thought her brother hung the moon, and she just wanted nothing more than to spend time with her big brother because she just thought he was so cool and such such the grown up. But of course, ten year old boys usually have better things to do than spend time with their little sisters, right? Yeah. So it was rare that she got to. But one day he actually asked her. He said, "You know, Sarah, why don't you uh, you know come out with me on my next big adventure?" And she said, "Oh, that's great, you know." And so they were actually at their grandparents' house out out near a big uh, forest and a farm, and. So he grabbed his shotgun, and um, she loaded up whatever she needed, and they took off for a great big adventure. And they're, they're headed out into the woods, and, and they, they cross a clearing, and they end up near this big thicket. And uh, he said, okay, Sarah, here's what we're going to do. You run around to the other side of this thicket, and you start yelling and screaming and whooping and hollering and make as much noise as you can. And she said, OK, that's great. And so she runs around and she does just what he says, you know, and she's yelling and screaming on the other side. And then she hears his gun, you know, his shotgun. Oh, boom. Yeah. And so she, 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 they hadn't really talked about what their objective was. Yeah, they weren't talking they were about doing. that part. <laughs> yeah, but she, she somehow knew that her part was over. <laughs> so <laughs> she ran back around to see what was going on. And there he was with his gun lowered and a wry grin on his face. And she looked over into the you know, grass and there was the lifeless body of a little rabbit, and she, her heart just sank. I mean, that wasn't what she thought was going to happen, and it just it broke her heart. I mean, yeah. she, she had no intention of being part of killing anything, and it just made her feel bad. And she wasn't mad at him because he went out and hunted all the time and did stuff like that, and that never bothered her because that's what he was doing. But what bothered her was that he got her to be involved in killing this thing. Hmm. Uh, but what really bothered her was that she did it without even taking time to think, do I want to be involved in killing this thing? And the truth is, the signs were all there. I mean, what did she think he was doing with his gun? Anyway? Right. I mean, yeah. it really wasn't a secret. She just ignored all of that because she was so desperate to win the affection of her bigger brother. And so as she grew up, you know, and, and, you know, teenagers will try and get you to go, let's go out and drink or stay out late or do whatever other things parents don't want their kids to do. And she would always, when she was in those situations, she would ask herself, am I considering doing this for me because I want to do it, or am I doing it to get somebody else to like me? Mm. And if the answer was ever it's to make somebody else like me, she immediately felt that pang in her stomach that she felt when she saw that dead rabbit. And she realized that's a sign that I'm about to make a mistake. Yeah. And oh. so now she probably didn't always make the best decision. Oh, it was, sure. It was a great sign to her. And so, you know, now I, I share that story with my kids and you can share it with yours. And it gets them to realize that, um, you know, doing do stuff for you, not for other people. Or you, you end up making some bad decisions like she made with the
0: rabbit. We I mean, we really should be able to learn from each other's mistakes and it's, it's almost like what you need is the story. You need to have the context, and then you need some emotional experience with it. She had it personally. But, I mean, just hearing that story, there is an emotional connection to that idea.
2: Just hearing yeah, it. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the uh, two most critical elements, I think, of a well-crafted and um, engaging and effective story is emotion. You, you nailed it. Yeah. If a story doesn't have emotion— it in fact, I'm kind of of the opinion that if there's not a real emotional uh, part to it, it's not even a story. It's yeah. a case study or something. Yeah, it's just it, a, yeah, it's it's a bridge a to somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, in fact, um, the, the best example of that – in fact, the best uh, definition I've ever heard of a story was by novelist E.M. Forster, and he said that a story is nothing more than a fact plus an emotion. Mm. And he gave this brilliantly simple example of it. He said, if I were to tell you the king died and then the queen died, well, that's not a story. That's just a couple of facts. But if I were to tell you the king died and then the queen died of grief, now that's a story, yeah. right? Because you can imagine now that, well, why must the queen have died? Well, you know, maybe she was so distraught over her husband's death that she stopped eating and she withered away, or or, or maybe she took her own life. Or I mean, the story comes out just because of the last two words of grief. Yeah, The, the emotion turns the fact into a story.
0: That's amazing. I mean, it really, it's totally true. Talk about uh, this, after 101 stories, you had to have heard maybe one that's your favorite. Is there one that stands out and you're like, oh, baby?
2: Yeah, well, uh, there is. And it's actually the one that got me to do what I'm doing today. Tell us that one. It's a very personal story. So uh, you mentioned that I worked at Procter & Gamble for 20 years, and, and I actually had started to write this book and finished my other one while I was still working there. Um, and I was trying to decide whether I should keep my job there, my full-time job, and just kind of do these, these book things and write stories as a hobby, or if I should jump into it full-time. Um, and I just knew that I would love doing this, but there's not a lot of financial security in yeah. being an author and a speaker, and there is in the corporate paycheck. So I was tormented over this decision, and so I, I wrote my dad a letter to my 80-year-old father and asked him what I should do. And he, he writes me back, and instead of just telling me what to do, he, he, of course, told me a story about himself when he was five years old that I had never heard before. He said, son, when I was five, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a singer, like Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett. And he said, the first day of school that you're the teacher asked if anybody had any special talent, I raised my hand, and I said, I'm a singer. And she, of course, invited him to stand up and sing a song right there. And, He said, you know, despite the fact that i have never sung in front of anybody other than my mother, I stood up and I belted out my favorite song. And he said, I nailed it. (laughs) got all the words and melody right, and the teacher applauded me, and the students stood up and applauded me. He said, that's when I was certain that this is what I was destined to do with my life. And he he went on to say, but unfortunately, that turned out not just to be the first time, but also the last time that I ever sang in front of an audience. He said, son, I have regretted that decision for 75 years, and he said, someday you're going to wake up, and you're going to be 80 years old like me, and you're not going to have pursued your dream, and you're going to regret it. And he closed the letter, I kid you not, by saying, I'd love to see you pursue your dream, son, but that doesn't just mean in your lifetime. That means in mine, and I got to tell you that – I mean at 81, he's not got a lot – you know, a whole lot of more years. And so just that laid the gauntlet at my feet. And and in all seriousness, that next week, I walked into my boss's office, and I resigned from my 20 year career to pursue this dream. Wow, I would, I would not have done it. had he not shared that story with me.
0: That's so cool. And really, it's, and it's now it's, it's yours, right? So I mean, that's, that story became yours now
2: yeah and and it 's my way of sharing my dream with him because he he 's probably never going to achieve his dream of being a singer now, yeah. right? but if i 've got the courage to go through with it, he can at least have some closure with me living out my dream in fact that 's what I tell people is you you can avoid your own dream if it was only you that it was bothering, but odds are there's somebody in your life a father mother, sister, brother, spouse, child that wants to see you achieve your dream just as much as you do, and so if you won 't do it for you, do it for them. Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. I think uh I think I got it, Paul. I think I got uh, the whole connection to the parenting too because we hand down our dreams, right? We live our dreams yeah. through each other. It's powerful. Amen. Well, I appreciate you, Paul. Really. I love What you're doing, and I love the impact that I I know a a good story and a great conversation can have. I I can't uh, thank you enough and suggest again, everybody, go look up his website, leadwithastory.com. Leadwithastory.com, and check out the book, Parenting with a Story Real Life Lessons in Character for Parents and Children to Share. (sighs) I'm telling you, you could feel the emotion of it, you get the data, the content of it. It's all good, folks. It's all good. We will continue this discussion throughout the next hour as well. Stick with us, my friends. Lots of great ideas and tools to help you in some of your storytelling and even, you know, maybe help you in some of your relationships as well. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here, by the way, on BYU Radio.
2: It's my.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. First hour we've been covering the power of storytelling in uh, your role as a parent. Because there's nothing more. You get a ton of stories as a parent. Okay, who broke the dish? Who broke it?
1: I don't know. The story I always get is only a two-word story when that question comes up. What's that? Not me. Not me. Is that what you get? Not me. My kids kind of turn each other in. <laughs> Jake did it. Mine don't.
0: Britain did it. No. Nope. Everybody's got that.
1: Mine go for the team approach.
0: Do they really? Yeah. But that's, they're smart. See, they've conspired. Mm-hmm. That's what you get to when you have a bunch of little girls, young women. Yep. The guys just kind of, eh, get rid of him. Jake did it. <laughs> the girls are like, no, together. If we, if we all remain strong. And say, I don't know. Is that exactly. what they say? I, I don't know. I don't Not know. me. Yeah. Then, I didn't do it. Then mom and dad, they know you guys. Nobody are, ever does
1: anything in our house. So, you'll, that's... But you'll
0: tire out. You. They know you can't keep it up.
1: You can't ground all of them. Yes, I can. And I have. Oh, oh that just gave me chills. Yeah.
0: That was scary. Okay. So today, as we're getting into the coach's corner, number one thing people fight about are stories. Stories? Really? Yeah. Like what? Well we think we're fighting about something and none of us even know what we're talking about. Here's an example. Okay. I will give. I have some friends. That the wife I know. Why did you why did you say that? You may not have heard it on the air.
1: But James said,
3: huh. Hmm.
1: <laughs> it was right after Matt had said, I have some friends. Hmm. Jeez. <laughs> That's oh man. Wish you would have
0: left him on the porch, don't you? Yeah. We should have floated that kid down the river. How many times have I told you, float the boy down the river? And you kept, no, we better feed him.
1: Nefertiti was waiting down the river.
0: (laughs) We should have. (sighs) I could have become the son to a... A pharaoh? <laughs> no, that's a different story. Oh, dang it.
1: So uh, so you have these friends.
0: I have these friends. They switched cars. She was driving his car, okay. which was brand new, perfectly clean, because mm-hmm. she had to go take a bunch of uh, young women from her church group in it. So about six, seven young women were in this car. Okay. He took her car. Not a big deal. Lo and behold, he was frustrated because when he got his car back— She was in a hurry and they just had to switch cars. When she got her car, he got her – they switched cars. He got back in his car and in the back of his car, there were a bunch of chips.
1: Oh, that somebody had been eating? Like Doritos Okay,
0: yeah. Crumbs? Crumbs, yeah. But like, yeah, just squashed and whatever, broken up.
1: I find popcorn in the back of mine.
0: Do you? Yeah. Well, yeah, but see, that makes sense because you go to movies. Mm -hmm. But this guy doesn't go to movies and he found chips. So he's like, you know, your girls left chips in the car. That makes me mad, and he starts getting mad. And then he's like, "And what were you? What was the deal? Were you guys like having a fight with um, hot chocolate?" And she's like, "What?" Because there's hot chocolate all over the car. He's like, "She's like hot chocolate. What are you talking about?" And they started fighting about how come the car was so messy. And she's like, "I don't know. It's it's hot chocolate. Who?" I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, big fight. Well, it's kind of like milk, but it looks like chocolate and it's dried. I don't know what it is. Anyway, so he made a video of it. Mm-hmm. They fought. You know, they argued about this. And then he made a video of it. And she's like, I don't know what that is, but it, maybe it's hot chocolate. I don't know. Maybe somebody threw a cup out on the side of the road and it hit all over your car. I don't know. Um, And caused a fight. Big fight. Big fight. She went home on her way home, though, drove by the place. Got out looking for cups of hot chocolate, uh-huh. and found instead that there were about you know a, a million birds perched on wires over this guy's car. Oh, I see. And they and there were all of the cars there had been bombarded. Yes, by apparently chocolate milk drinking birds. <laughs> by the way, chocolate milk had nothing to do with it. Right. But that's a so watch. We get a little bit of data, and then we tend to extrapolate, and we tend well, to we, make up a bunch of junk. We become Sherlock. We become Sherlock, but almost mm-hmm. more like we become more like. Um,
1: well, we think we're
0: Sherlock. Who's the it's great not, mystery writer? Well, we become the guy that's Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Yeah. Christie. Mm-hmm. We're making up the story, and we use a little bit of data to to extrapolate oh, and Sir to Arthur interpret. Conan Doyle wrote Sherlock. See, that's it. we're more yeah. We're Sir Arthur. It's just crazy. It's not. But we do this all the time. And so in our relationships. I've done it. We, every human does it. Yeah. Because the rules are no, none of us have all the data. And but, but the second rule is but we all act as if we do. Yeah. So we don't need all the data because I've been married to you for 20 years. So we don't have the data but we act as if we do. And then when we don't have the data and we, and, and we are acting as if we do, we tend to make up stuff to suit our needs. One of the great keys to improving a relationship is you gotta manage the story, so just if you just simply recognize you don't have the data and don't make it up so if either one of these people had just said, "I don't know quite what you're saying, oh by the way, guess who made the mess in the
1: back of with the chips I'm guessing it wasn't the girls it wasn't the girls was it the guy eating lunch it or was something?
0: the it was her boy it was their boy oh. Their little boy
1: soccer practice or
0: something threw the chips. Yeah, only ate half of his chips and tossed the rest in the back. And so, but she was like, "Don't attack me." And Mm -hmm. so when she's being attacked, she's ticked, and when he's being attacked, he's ticked. And then somewhere in there, chocolate milk got in there. (laughs) And in reality, then we fight about chocolate milk. Like, who on earth would throw chocolate milk on a car? And now we're fighting about chocolate milk. So if you want to create a healthy story with somebody and you're noticing you're not getting anywhere, then shut your mouth. We call it the cake hole. <laughs> shut it and go start looking for more information. There's more data there. And sometimes the best data is, the, is in them. And notice, and one thing that made this this discussion different than most is they actually shared videos. And by sharing video, it gave her more information mm-hmm. And it gave him more information.
1: So what I should take away with this is I need to put security cameras in my house so I can see what my kids are doing all the time. No. Oh.
0: Yeah. Was he even listening, James?
1: I don't think so. Well, oh, see, hold on. Don't talk, James. So I, I don't, don't like you. So I don't get <laughs> – this is so I don't get the not-me's anymore. No. So what you do is – so
0: what I would do is I would go to the data. Here's what we know, girls. And we're not leaving till this is handled. Still get the not-me's. We know – when we left, the plate was intact. Yeah, you were all having fun in the room, and you were bouncing a beach ball. Whatever you do, mm-hmm. you were throwing a ball around. See, in my so house don't play ball in the room. Yeah, my in my house there's always a ball flying around. When we came home, the plate was on its side, and there was a break in it, a mm-hmm. crack in it. The ball is missing, and you four were not playing. You were sitting here.
1: And talking really fast. Yeah. So. And you got really quiet when we came in the room. Yeah. So what are we missing?
0: And I would ask all of them, not just some of them, because the one that's saying, I don't know, or not me, by and now, the way. Now, do you separate them into. Yeah. You separate. Do you do them? the police interrogation yeah, so thing shine with a the light, light on, on their them? face? Yeah. And then, yeah. And you lean in on them and you breathe yeah. in. On you. No, but you know what's interesting about this is um, when your daughter says, not me. Mm-hmm. Now, notice in those very words.
1: What else is she saying? It was everybody else. (laughs) It did happen. Yes. It just wasn't me. Well, the physical evidence is there.
0: So you you already have the data. So notice the minute we see data, we immediately interpret. Right. And then this girl's like, well, not me. And that can frustrate us. But she's also saying something. So I would listen to what they're saying because there's data there. And I'd say, so, honey, when you say it's not you, you're saying it happened, but you didn't break it. Then she could say, okay. yeah, okay, so it wasn't you, honey. Which one was it? Was it this one? Was it this one? Or you could go to the other See, girls. See, that's why you
1: separate them so they yeah. can turn each other in.
0: What's amazing, and this is with every relationship, and I, the biggest distinction I would make is always distinguish between facts and interpretation. Right. Because most of us fight about what we're interpreting Mm happened with the data, and yet most of us are never clear on the facts. Mm -hmm. If you want to really quickly create peace in your life, try to gather more data before you make an interpretation, especially a public interpretation. Instead of running out as the mom and saying, you guys are so lazy, you might want to instead give the data. This is the fourth set of dishes I've done this holiday weekend. I did all of the Thanksgiving dishes and no one else helped. Mm -hmm. And this morning I made breakfast and I made lunch and I cleaned up breakfast and I cleaned up lunch. Data. That's all data. And then I would just, if you want, ask a question. Am I going to get some help anytime soon and then see if they'll come help you or give your interpretation? I'm feeling like nobody is is helping. Mm Mm-hmm. Interpretation.
1: Separate interpretation from facts, folks. I promise it will change your life. But should you say that factually too and not with – Yeah. You know, in a yelling sort of tone? Don't yell. Okay. But data, I'm telling you, data is the key
0: and none of us have it and we all act as if we do.
1: He was the key on Star Trek. Jeez.
0: I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by a techie – Star Trekkie and a rude boy I raised from a pup. I need help. I'm calling in Kim Giles. She'll be up next. Kim Giles, super guru coach from Clarity Point Coaching. She's going to walk us through how to deal with such difficult people. No, she's going to help us in our parenting of wonderful children. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Kim Giles. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Is that the song?
3: Was that in my honor?
0: Yeah, that was you. That's your new theme song. <laughs> I like
3: that you song. You like that? Yeah, that's better than music last time I was here. Yeah,
0: no, totally. Yeah. Yeah, we fixed that. <laughs> we fixed that. No show tunes. No
3: show tunes. How do we
0: get that to happen? I, I didn't even officially say no show tunes, but I think I made enough of a scene, passive-aggressively.
3: Been good music today. I've been tuned in. Have
0: you um, have you felt the vibe of the? Uh, oh, let's introduce you, Kim. Sorry, I act as if everyone knows you, but you, you're due. You're one of the top twenty advice gurus in the country, according to Good Morning America. According to this show, top twenty advice gurus in the galaxy. Thank you. You bet. <laughs> we have authority to do that. Uh, also, president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching popular life coach, author, speaker, extraordinaire, and by the way, uh author of the book
3: Choosing Clarity.
0: Choosing Clarity. It's it really is a great book. Um I have gone through the activities. Good. You said to. Yeah. And I I did it and it's deep.
3: It is. If you do the activities in the book, it will change you forever. Yeah. And for then, the better, then I notice I, really well. I
0: do the activities and then I'd back out because it's like it's becoming too real. And I'd go into Fakeville. Mm. You know what I mean? And then I'd get back to it's it. It's really
3: like, authentic of you to is. own that. I
0: just, and I owned it public right there. Right.
3: On national radio. Well, we'll cut even. that
0: out. We'll cut that part out. Okay. Cut that part out, James. Oh, James shakes his head no. I
3: think it's live. That's a good point. <laughs> Let's
0: just start this over. Let's start the segment over.
3: Parenting, right? Okay, let's go to
0: parenting. <laughs> so Kim's going to talk to us about parenting um, and storytelling, because honestly, parents have a pretty almost impossible story about what we're supposed to do as a parent. We well,
3: think we've gotten, and we definitely have a story around what our role is yeah. as a parent. And yeah. and for most of us, we've picked up on the story from our parents and yeah. people around us. But it, I
0: mean, a lot of our parents were messed up.
3: Well, they were doing the best they could, Matt, right. with what they knew. Okay, okay, yeah, let's put they that were. <laughs> But let's tr- – That's uh, true. Hardly any of us know what we're doing. No,
0: we're just busy, which is right? why we got to – the story needs to be that.
3: It we're does. We're all kind of
0: ignorant, not knowing, trying our best.
3: But the story we'd like to go with is the story that I know everything and that it's yeah. my job to, to impart all of my wisdom to these small people and yeah. also kind of control them and yes. make them turn out the yes. way I want them to turn yes. out. yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be really bent out of shape if the story I have in mind for raising these children doesn't work out. That's it. And so I find most parents are upset because their story isn't working. Uh Uh-uh.
0: And everyone's looking.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's watching and my story isn't working out. So one of the first things that I tell parents they need to do, if they want to completely change the relationship they have with their kids and repair it – and and make it work better so that it's more positive for everybody is we need to have a different story. And and I love the idea that my real story here as a parent is that we we are all students in the classroom yeah, of life. That's and in a huge. in a huge sense, I'm only really about two seconds ahead of these children. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I know a little more than them, but yeah. I still have so much to uh-huh. learn, right?
0: <laughs> the two by the way, that's really cool because two seconds. Yeah. And that's nothing.
2: That's, it, it that, really is. Because
0: but we think oh, I got years.
2: Yeah. But like I'm years ahead of them. Yeah.
0: God, yeah, like it's like dog years, but
3: It kind dog, of it's is. It's dog years.
0: <laughs> Thousand years. We know more.
3: a little more than them, yeah. but we're still kind of the blind leading the blind. Right. Oh, yeah. So let's just own that and and I think it would change us completely if you would see your number one job as a parent is your own growth and education, mm. that you have these little people in your life and that you're going to be the teacher, but sometimes they're going to be the teacher. Oh, yeah. And I feel like it's it's pretty equal yeah. being the student and the teacher for each other. And if I could see every interaction with my child as a chance for me to grow and learn and yeah. become more aware and change myself and be stronger and wiser and better. Yeah, Instead of just being focused on fixing them all the time, so this true. alone would change everything. It's kind of
0: – if you've been to like New York and then you have a friend that's going to New York and you're like, oh, you got to try. Yeah, and you got to go here. But see, that's kind of different. You, you're not forcing them to go and if they don't go, you're not going to be mad. It's it's almost like you're just two seconds ahead on the journey. You've been to New York. Let me give you what I what I learned. Yeah, like get, you know what I learned going to New York? Don't stay at a second-rate hotel after the Westminster Dog Show.
3: Okay, make a note of that. Write
0: that down, everybody, <laughs> because I stayed in a hotel that was just overrun by dogs.
3: Wow, that would be interesting.
0: So instead, pay top dollar where they don't get a allow nice dogs. Place,
3: yeah, just in New
0: York during just the Westminster Dog Show.
3: So I was actually I drove up here today with my son. And as we were listening to the show, we were kind of talking about this. And, and I said to him, you know, and I'll, there are levels where that kid, he's 24 now, he's yeah. smarter than me. Oh, for sure. He knows things yeah. that I don't know. He's, oh, yeah. He reads stuff that is over my head. That's great. I know. And and I said, you know, I've kind of felt this way a lot of your life. Like you're this old soul and I've got just as much to learn from you. And maybe a, a lot of our parenting conversations needed to be the two of us, hey, we're, we're facing these challenges in life. Mm. You've got these. I've got these. Let's figure this out together. What makes sense? And I think as a parent, if I'm doing an equal amount of listening to yeah. talking and maybe even more listening uh-huh. and talking, right. uh, I'm going to be a lot more successful with my children. Well,
0: but look at what you did, though. You just rewrote the story. So it's in a weird way that you just got to do over because yeah. if he agrees to it like, oh, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, I mean, that
3: let's let's do that. So
0: now it's a whole different thing, and it's nev- it'll never be the same.
3: And you know, the cool thing is, I still am a parent, even though he's twenty four, right. and I've still got an opportunity to redo a lot of those things and yep. do better and and repair areas of our relationship. It doesn't matter. I think sometimes when people hear a parenting concept and they think, "Well, my children are kind of grown." Yeah. it Doesn't matter how old they are. No. You are still in that role. Mm-hmm. And this stuff will still help you.
0: They, that's cool. You're two seconds ahead, which for you helps you realize they need to learn. And then they can, when you blow it, they can look at you and just say, they're just two seconds ahead.
3: Oh, yeah. So
0: honestly, I may have already worked a circle around them on this one. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. So, so it helps both ways. Do
3: you apologize to your kids when you mess up, when you handle things badly? Are you You mean pretty...
0: hypothetically, if I have ever...
3: If you ever, yeah, hypothetically... <laughs>
0: Because I'm trying to think, I don't know what you mean. Sean's laughing. You know what? I, I here's one of my. I'll just be. I don't. I. I, It's hard for me to apologize.
3: I think it is for a lot of parents.
0: It's like, and it's something I never learned. Our families didn't do that. We weren't apologizers. Yeah. We 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 were more like get even. (laughs) No, but I. It's powerful. I don't. don't, But I need two more.
3: As a parent, when you do, when you can sit down with your kids, and and I, I actually lost my temper. With my stepkids a, you did? a couple weeks ago or something. What happened? But the cool part was, I I thought it was very powerful for me to go back to them and say, I'm really embarrassed at how I lost my temper and handled that. That is not who I want to be rea- to react like that. Oh, it's, that's cool. It's, it's not the right way to handle things. Yeah. And they all looked at me like, wow, this is weird.
0: What happened?
3: Uh, grown up is that... apologizing for yelling at us because no, I don't think that no. happens a lot in their world no. and so th- this was a really cool opportunity yeah. for me to show by example hey we all mess up and it's okay that it's okay cool. to not be perfect Yeah, but that comes from this story being that I'm a student with them in the classroom of life and if you come from this ego story where you're supposed to know it all yeah. you're the you, dad you don't, I think it's a lot harder to have those apologies that's
0: and, how do you get that like the humility of that and the like if you already have a history, because now it's like, uh, okay, dad has for the last twenty years been blowing it. Then that, then but they even I guess in a way that's more powerful.
3: I, I just learned is.
0: something on my show today. Maybe that's what I do is I go tell. I, think him it I, makes I learned some something. Respect
3: you more yeah. for you to own that you're learning and growing, and I and I also think you're showing children. A different message about yeah, being perfect totally. and the level they have to live up to. Because if your story is that I'm perfect and know it all and I never make mistakes, right. you're kind of setting that standard for them yeah. also. And
0: what if they pull their phones out and start recording it? My apology.
3: <laughs>
0: that just seems like they're crossing the line.
3: Yeah, maybe a little bit. Like, yeah. I,
0: I, okay, here I go. <laughs> I'm not sorry anymore. But really, that's I think I think you're right on. And I, I so one of the keys and we'll take a break is we have to remember this idea that we're all in the journey together our values inherent
3: yeah our values not on the line on the here line in the here. classroom of life everything is a lesson and
0: i'm i'm a couple seconds ahead of you
3: yeah now when we come back we could talk about some cool ways that your kids can teach you things and why they That's may be the best teachers in your classroom
0: and maybe is the reason you're supposed to have each other.
3: Yeah, I I don't think that's an accident. I think you especially got certain kids are like the mm, teacher for you. That one. That's so
0: true. <laughs> it's so isn't it? Cuz otherwise that doesn't make sense otherwise cuz this one's just so hard. Yeah. But it's probably But if exactly you notice, you usually
3: mean. they're the ones that are just like you. Oh yeah. No, I yeah, t- we you gotta know that's what I'm that's what I'm that. finding out.
0: <laughs> isn't that crazy?
3: The one you struggle with the most yeah. is just like you. Yeah
0: ruggedly good looking why are you
2: laughing
3: oh that wasn't laughing that, you, you misinterpreted that
0: Defying. <laughs> we're going to take a break back with Kim Giles from claritypointcoaching.com go check out her website again of all the sites per pound you get more out of claritypointcoaching.com she packs it in deep and it's all free it's basically a charity
3: well we try to help
0: you do that's, you don't even try you do More with Kim Giles right here on the Matt Townsend Show after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ground control. I mean, don't you feel like that's what this is? A journey of parenting... It's like going into outer space.
3: Yes, uncharted territory oh, yeah. where you've never been before. No.
0: And you're like, and this kid's a Martian.
3: Pretty much. Uh,
0: in the house, Kim Giles is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. If you go to ClarityPointCoaching.com, you can get all of this great goodness. By the way, she just put an article together. By the way, not an article. Let's just say a thesis. I mean, there was a whole – it's a lot of writing.
3: It, it and it, It's this got is, a lot in it.
0: But if you, you find it if you go to KSL.com. And do a search. Being a better parent, it'll be up today. It's today,
3: top of the lifestyle section today.
0: You're the real deal. Um, Ground control to Major Kim. What are? Why are? are, Why is it that our our children are so such good teachers? Because they seem to not be great students, (laughs) right? So, yeah, but they but seem to be better teachers. They can
3: teach you more than anybody else in your life. I used to always say your spouse was your greatest teacher, but I've changed my mind on yeah. that.
0: Oh yeah, they're not your blood. Well, or not even your blood, but they're not your—they're not yours to raise.
3: They're different right? than you, and so some... they bring totally different things. One of the interesting things about your kids is, I believe, they really serve as mirrors of all of your bad stuff because <laughs> they pick up yeah. my very worst subconscious ego reactiveness mm-hmm. that they've got all of that and so when i see them behaving badly most of the time if i'm mature enough to step back from it and be accurate yeah they're me they're they whatever anger or mm-hmm. insecurity or whatever's it's going you. on behind this bad behavior it's usually coming from me and so what a beautiful opportunity or for your me. husband i mean well, let's make it tr- let's bring true. him into this yeah they, they could have picked see, but, up his stuff. But, but even it's for me you, to understand them. him and understanding yeah, them, it's right. still a fantastic lesson. So every time my kids are behaving badly, you want to step back and ask yourself, okay, what what is this child experiencing? What are they feeling? Are they angry? Are they in pain? Are they suffering yeah. self-esteem issues? And and just look at yourself. Is there any of that exact same oh. stuff going on with you? Mm-hmm. Or has there been in your past that your kids have picked up on, and what this is this is not a beautiful opportunity to fix them. It's a beautiful opportunity to work on fixing whatever yeah. that is in yourself. I really find with parents and i don't I don't know if you've found this i get I get a lot of parents that want their kid in coaching. they oh, want yeah. me to fix the oh, kid, yeah. and I always tell them, we'll do a lot better if I work with you Every time. because if I can fix this ego self esteem anger stuff in you. Yeah. And you change, you're gonna now be a better example and your kid is gonna learn uh-huh. from that better example and that that will fix them.
0: Right. We gotta
3: fix you first. Well
0: and because you're still no matter what, you're the one interpreting that this is a problem. So if it might just be like for example It might be you. When my kids are insecure uh, in any situation And like won't do something on a – that the coaches want him to do. Or you can tell – I had a son that wouldn't just – he wouldn't run with the ball. He was a quarterback and he would do everything with the ball. He'd throw it, but but he he would not run. And the coaches would like – all year they are trying to get him to run. Just run with it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing you're doing, but you're just going to turn and run. And he wasn't even afraid of being hit. I think he was afraid of making a mistake in something that was new. And so the coaches would say, you know, we're really trying to get your boy to run with the ball. And I'm like – in my head, I'm like, oh, man, that kid. Why won't he run with the ball? And But in my head, I'm thinking I wouldn't have run with the ball at that age. That's I would have been worried. You would
3: have had the same fear. So
0: that's really why. And so that bugs me more. He's me. He's mini me.
3: That's right. And, and like man. we said before... The things that are a perfect mirror of you are the things that are going to bug you yeah. the most. That's right. So anytime I hear a parent complaining about this particular thing, my yeah. kid is doing that's driving me crazy, that is the sign mm-hmm. that you're looking in the mirror yeah. and there's something for you to work on. That's cool. Now, the other reason I think your children are amazing teachers is because they have the ability to trigger your two deepest fears. With every single thing they do, they trigger your fears of failure and loss. You're failing as a parent and you're going to lose them. Oh, yeah. And those are the things we're most scared of. So those are the things we become the most reactive. And when I say reactive in a negative way, we lose it when we're afraid of looking bad or losing them. Oh, yeah. And as soon as we react from that space, it's all about us and what the child needs is no longer in the bedroom at all. It's 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 all all about about our fear.
0: And it's being – and then we're interpreting. We're reading into everything they're doing and we make it worse because of our fear, I guess, right? We magnify it.
3: Well, yeah. And we're not showing up for them at all.
0: Which will make it worse.
3: Right. So – We teach our clients the number one thing you've got to be working on all the time is getting control of your fear so that you're not reactive, so that you can show up for other people and be loving, and your children are going to give you more chances to practice that than anyone on the planet. That's right. So what beautiful little teachers they are that they trigger those fears. See, but
0: they don't even know they're doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess what's funny about that is at that rate, then everybody can teach you this. Your kids might teach it more because you're around them more. They're going to induce that fear of loss more maybe and risk. But I guess your coworkers, your spouse, your neighbors.
3: Everybody can trigger you. So really
0: I guess the sign is if you're feeling that anger, if you're feeling more fearful and the angst of loss and nervous anxiety and all those feelings, you're probably in your fear.
3: Yeah, you're functioning from fear and ego Mm
0: -hmm. where
3: you can't be loving because love can't happen. No, in that then you're. Space. I guess. Yeah.
0: I, I, so when I, then you'll either be too mean, aggressive, that you're not there, or you're too distant. You pull away, and you're not there.
3: Yeah. So huh. you know, I I try to tell parents basically this is really simple. Every single interaction with your child, mm-hmm. you're going to be in one of two spaces. You're either in a space of fear, yeah, where you're mostly focused on what you need, whatever reassurance. You need to make you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) And in this place of fear, you're more questioning, probing, or you're talking at them and lecturing because you need to feel better by telling them all this stuff. Um, But it's really a place of taking more than giving. Yeah,
0: selfish versus selfless. It
3: really, really is. Or you're in a place of love, and if you're really in a space of love, you're not worried about you you're totally focused on what they need yeah. and in that space you'll do a lot more listening and asking questions and trying to understand so this is a lot more giving and yeah. caring
0: well, th- which than would, getting which is an attractor right so that they'll see the love and then they'll be it seems like they might be more malleable to your insight versus well, your fear
3: Yeah, when you're in fear energy, you repel everybody. They're scared of you. And the other thing parents need to understand is when you show up in fear energy and you're in a kind of ego place, so you're controlling and telling, and uh, that whole energy does not – gain respect. Your no. children don't respect you when you show up that Which way. Which is why that
0: apology we is so We try thoughtful.
3: to demand it yeah. from that place. Yeah. they don't. This is immature behavior uh-huh. and they don't respect you. It's when you show up truly in love and your stuff is set aside and you're, you're focused on them that you earn their mm-hmm. respect and you will get it back.
0: I love the idea that you're saying it's an energy because you can tell me whatever story you want, but if I read The Energy of Fear...
3: You can't lie.
0: I can read the energy of fear and yeah. my body will react to the energy of fear because that's threatening.
3: Yeah. It, it, so you your can story energy all matters you a lot more than the words. That's right. You can say whatever that's words, right. but if you're in fear energy, they know. And,
0: and if you, So if you're not – if you haven't converted yourself to the love side, have you ever heard the quote, who you are speaks so loudly I can't hear the words you're saying.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: So who you are, if it's fear – speak so loudly. so loudly you can't
3: the go in and apologize
0: matter. okay i'm sorry i'm yelling at you i'm sorry but
3: yeah it's wrong what that you're was not authentic yeah,
0: it's not you're not you, <laughs> they that's see hard right through it because people try to work on technique like it matters but really what you're saying is the paradigm matters the governing thought fear or love
3: matters more than the words because
0: then they say, no of course i love him that's why i'm getting on him well, then, OK. You, by the way, it does also doesn't mean you can't get on someone, but get on them with love. And when you Absolutely. feel that.
3: You can still have discipline yeah. and, and controls and boundaries with kids, but you need to enforce them from a place of love, not a place of fear so good. if you want them to be effective and really work.
0: See, that's parent, That's probably the hardest thing, probably in life, really, is keeping yourself in the right paradigm. Love.
3: Working on yourself to get your ego and fear under control is the whole ball game.
0: It's it's the purpose of life.
3: I think it is the perfect purpose of the classroom yeah. that we're here participating in. It really is. So you know, with parents, I want them to focus less on trying to control their yeah. kids and yeah. more on trying to connect with their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was even thinking, listening to the segment earlier. Yeah. Remind me the guest's uh, his name, name again. Was
0: Paul Smith?
3: Paul, yeah. Um, the stories were so wonderful. I I would add to that that at the end of telling stories, we better then ask a lot of questions about what you think. Yeah, and and where really, are you? yeah.
0: What, what did yeah, you learn? Find
3: out where they are and what they've been learning and what they think of the story. What did they get out of it? And then close your mouth for a while, yeah. because as a right. parent. We, we do much better when our focus is connecting, building a relationship of trust, showing the child we respect and honor them and what they yeah. think and how they feel about things. I think the more time we spend there, the more we're going to get it back. They're oh, going to respect sure. you and care what yeah. you think. But if you don't care what they think, if this is all about controlling them, they're honestly not going to care oh, yeah. what you think. I mean, it, isn't That's it right. crazy that... People are surprised that when they control and oppress that the kids rebel.
1: Like, it seems That's like they just want to be there. A, no,
3: a rule of right. human nature, right? We've That's seen right. all through history the oppressed will rebel. Well,
0: and, and interestingly too, they might not even have to rebel. They just turn on their computer or their iPhone.
3: Yeah, and tune and you so out. It's not
0: like an over- – yeah, they just – you just start noticing you're losing – you're losing connection. You're losing power. and. yeah. So it doesn't even have to be a rebellion like that's overt. Like I'm going to crush you, mom. It's just bloop, turn on your phone. But
3: it's it's a passive disrespect, it is, isn't it is it, totally. When they do that, so you know if that's happening to you, you know you're not showing up for them. You keep enough. saying
0: showing up, which is it's see, this, the spirit of that is different than speaking up, than judging up, than fearing up. It's. Showing up just – you're showing up in the right spirit.
3: Well, and I – for them.
2: Mm -hmm. For them. So
3: what that means is this isn't about you. This is about understanding them and what they're experiencing and what they see in the world and how they feel about things. Making this moment more about them than about you, which is hard to do oh, when you're is. scared as a parent, yeah. and I know that. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of work. Right, I I always worry when we teach these principles. You and I have been working on these yeah. for how many years? Fifty. Yeah, long time. Yeah, and we're still working oh, on it. Every day. We're still not perfect. No, like I said, no. I lost it with my kids a yeah. couple weeks ago. Um,
0: I lost it this morning.
3: All right, and this, you know, this afternoon we're. Life is a classroom, and ahead. we're going to keep on learning.
0: So. See, and i that's smart. So don't. And again, if you're getting overwhelmed with it, you're falling back into another spirit.
3: You back into fear. Fear again. Totally. Like, oh, I'm
0: not good enough. I'll never be perfect at this. I've got to be perfect at it because if I'm not, my kids will be a
3: mess. No, you don't have to be the perfect parent to be the perfect parent for your child. And as messed up as you may feel right now, how no matter how much fear and ego has been driving. Apparently, that was your kid's perfect classroom that's to have right. a parent who was there. That's right. But that doesn't mean you can't start today to learn. So and, Oh, that's
0: cool. And that's why they need you and that's why you need them because you're very much alike.
3: You and your child. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You need each other
0: and so we are each other's cure.
3: And teacher and I love it. support hopefully as we both go through this process of learning and growing
0: isn't it because sometimes we just live vicariously like i will fix you to you know to make up for my failed life
3: yeah that that, that story doesn't work that doesn't, that doesn't work <laughs> not at all so if if they're it's feeling fun. overwhelmed yeah. by this i would tell them to go to ksl.com today and get that article, article Being a better parent yep.
0: and then and, go to clarity point coaching And just start – I mean you can take the fear assessment, which is always a great place to start.
3: Yep. And then they can uh, access lots of articles and recordings to start working on your ego.
0: Choosing clarity is also I think a great place to start because it's going to get them into the language of fear.
3: Well, like you said, if you do the exercises in oh. the book, it really will help you to get a handle uh-huh. of your ego fear stuff. I can almost hear your, your voice kids...
0: saying these questions that are in the book.
3: As you were reading it? Uh-huh.
0: I get hear it. <laughs> it's I've like you were I've right heard that again. before. Choosing Clarity is the book there. Again, go to Clarity Point Coaching. Kim, can you stick with us for a minute? We're going to talk about Absolutely. favorite bedtime stories.
3: Ooh, I'm in. Do you have
0: one? Be thinking. Okay. You be thinking. Uh, I've got a few. Favorite bedtime stories. To wrap up this uh, show, my friends, you're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. This is the wrap-up segment. Wrapping up the mess we've created all day. Sheesh. We haven't created a mess. Today we've talked about stories and the stories of life, how to talk to our kids, how to, you know, listen, heaven forbid, how to be influenced by our kids. Kim Giles is still in the house. And uh, as we wrap up this last segment, favorite bedtime stories led to us by who? Who's leading us in this one? I am. Favorite bedtime stories. Um, I personally am not a bedtime story reader. As a child, I didn't have bedtime stories oh, read to me.
3: Oh well, that maybe explains some things. <laughs> <laughs> really? sounded kind of
0: rude. No, no, no. I did. I mean, I did as a young, young kid. Yeah. But you know the story about the monsters. What's the famous book about the monsters in my closet? Those. Th- yeah. What's it called? Um, a movie was made of it.
3: Where the Wild Things Where Are. Where the
0: Wild Things Are. That freaked me out.
3: It scared you as a little boy, huh? Yeah.
0: So uh, after that, I just wanted to watch MASH <laughs> and go to bed. MASH is on about 1040. I'd sneak out, watch a little MASH. No. Um, so I'm not... I'm not... I don't have a lot of great bedtime story memories.
1: Do you, James? Oh, yeah. Favorite. Um, well... I am um, I am a Lord of the Rings lover, partially because my dad would read um, from Lord of yes. the Rings every night. He had a great dad. Yeah, it was great.
0: But my dad also loves sports. And so he would make a, a fictional –
1: we had the Burtzall family baseball team. Ooh. And we all had our own positions yeah. in on this team. And so every night we'd all – he would sit on – in the hallway between our bedrooms, and we'd just be lying in our beds, and he would tell us about a baseball game that we played. And so every night
2: we had. And he'd
0: different, make it up. Yeah, he'd make it up, and we'd you know. A great that's dad. a great see. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. See, yeah. to me, that's more what I would do with my kids is just make up stuff because they wouldn't know.
3: Yeah, mine really like. They're favorite. They were always asking for stories when I was a little girl. Oh, yeah. Tell me stuff that happened to you when you were my age. So uh, we did a lot of those. Do
0: you want to just tell us one real fast?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we have time for that. Um, But I I read all of the Harry Potter books to my kids. I did too. And those were magical. That was was one of my best
0: And they'd sit and they'd listen. Yeah. Oh, I love that.
3: And my kids are all, even at 24, still the biggest Harry Potter fans in the world because of those
0: You know what? Moments. You ought to gather them around and redo the series.
3: You know, they've each read them all so many times. So,
0: yeah, it's kind it, of.
3: Yeah, but that was a great thing, a great bonding thing with my kids when they were little. I found
0: it. It's easier. I have more stories as a parent than I did as a kid. I don't know why that is. I guess I just tried to block them out.
3: Can't remember him when you Coach were little? Kim.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I just watched a lot of TV. <laughs> it's pitiful.
3: I don't know. I had lots of horrifying, stupid things that happened to me as a kid where I got treed by a dog and I climbed up on this rock and the dog ooh. wouldn't let me get down and ooh, I was late ooh, to school. Ooh, yeah, like the kids. hounds,
0: like you had been treed.
3: Yeah. I stood up there and cried until someone finally came and rescued me hours later I mean, stories like that, my kids loved.
0: Did you embellish the story? Like, And then I hopped down and I jumped on the back of that dog and found out it wasn't a dog at all. It was a lion.
3: I haven't ever done that. Try that. But there we go. We'll That's try what grandkids that. grandkids are for. Next
0: time, yeah. Um, Mike shaved his face. Mike used to look like one of the Three Musketeers. And a mix between the Three Musketeers and Tom Selleck. And you shaved it. Mike, what was your favorite childhood story?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, I was trying to think about this. Your voice has changed, too. My dad would always take movies that we had just seen and change all the names and just retell me the stories, like Star Wars or something. Yeah. And and I'd be like, wait wait a second. Like, this is Star Wars. He could add "Uh, to it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, good night. You know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he would kind of break up your reality and leave you hanging.
1: Yeah. Good dad.
3: He was trying. He gets a lot of points it does. for trying to make trying. up a bedtime story. It's harder than Psychologically I thought he it was loses really a few funny. points. I
0: thought it was funny. The hanging Yeah, I, <laughs> I think funny. And I'm telling the uh, you know a story that my when Elizabeth Smart got kidnapped. My kids needed me big time to be there. Do you remember all that? Yeah.
3: We had a lot of scared kids around that time. And
0: then so we would just always go in and we would just tell stories about anything that could ever go wrong and how they would have handled it perfectly. And this is how you would have done it. And you would have run and gotten help. And, and anyway, because every night they'd ask questions. So is that going to happen to us? Is that going to happen to us? No. Because you're going to tree them?
3: Yeah. But it's reassuring to a kid to make totally. up stories that would help them know what to do in a dangerous situation. I See, like that. So idea. think of
0: that. And tell me it's there's a not story. a lot of stuff all over the country all over going the on. News. And these kids are hearing it like my kids talk now a lot about ISIS. Like Dad, so what are the odds that ISIS could bomb us? And then I'm like, not good.
3: Yeah, the news could be pretty scary. Lately. So we, So
0: we might we might need some stories for that. Uh, you know, I don't want to put a downer on it, but well, I, I'd make one up. Well, have some good
3: conversations and ask questions about how your kids are feeling and what they're hearing.
0: And then have them, you know, make up a story about them going ninja on a bunch of ISIS guys. I mean, in sure. a good, clean way. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, like, like a fascinating story. We'll do that later. Well, Kim, you're the best. This is good. I, You are changing lives.
3: So are you, Matt.
0: We, you I'm, know, it's almost like we all are.
3: We all are. We all have a story to tell.
0: And the stories matter. And like you said, maybe we need to shut the flapper under the nose and open open the ear holes.
3: I think that'd be a good advice to end on.
0: Uh, Let's end it on that. Listen more. We're going to end it on that one. Uh, By the way, go check out our website again. Kim Kim Giles is at claritypointcoaching.com. Get her book. Go read that article, Being a Better Parent. And here's a quote for you to just kind of wrap it all up. Wrap it all up. This is by Melody Beatty. Live your life from your heart, share from your heart, and your story will touch and heal people's souls. She's the author of Codependent No More. Tomorrow, the topic is mothers and daughters. Taking a look at the interesting dynamic of this special relationship, that plus more fun ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show, tomorrow on BYU Radio.